My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. On today's episode, I talk to Todd Moonbounce. We talk about the Star Wars 5e system. We also talk about how to run combat narratively and running podcasts. And we touch a little bit on player backstories and a bunch of other little topics along the way. You can find him on Twitch, Twitter, and at DungeonJediMasters.com. If you're interested in being interviewed, be sure to join the Discord server so you can see when I post new interview slots. Also, if you're interested in trying out the Fantasy Flight Star Wars game, I'm going to be running a one-shot on Friday, November 5th at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. It'll probably be around three hours long, and you can sign up for that game on the Discord server. If you head over to the Scheduled Games channel, there is an event, and up to four people can sign up for that one-shot. And even if there are more people that sign up, it will put anybody extra on a waiting list, just in case somebody backs out for uh, before the event actually happens. So for anyone interested, be sure to join the Discord server and check it out. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Welcome, everybody. I have Todd Moonbounce with me. Welcome, Todd. Hey, Brock. Glad to be here. Uh, looking forward to a conversation. Yeah, glad to have you. Todd, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started in the tabletop role-playing space? Absolutely. So I've been involved a little over two years now. I'd have to go back and look. Uh, it started, uh, I, I wasn't a critical role, jump on the wagon person. Um, that came a little later. I don't even remember what what spawned my interest in it. I uh, just came across it and started searching out. Uh, I think the first one I looked over was like Star Wars RPG, the old D6 version of it. And I threw it over to my brothers and said, hey, we should check this out. This looks fun. And uh, no, that never took off. But I kept diving into it uh, and reading various systems myself and eventually found an online game for uh, fifth edition and played in that for, for a while. And that was my first taste of it. And then found an in-person game locally uh, back before you know we couldn't have in-person games, which feels so long ago. But um, and that was with Star Wars uh, 5e. So it's a fan conversion of fifth edition and uh, played in that uh, in person for a while at a local game store. And shortly after that, decided to take the plunge into DMing myself. And uh, that's kind of, yeah, my start and uh, just have ran with it since. And how was your kind of initial jump into being a DM? What, what was that process like? Yeah, it was, um, I'm trying to think of the, I think it was my Tempest Feud campaign. Nope, it wasn't. Let me back up. It was, um, it was Living Force. Uh, so I ran that first and I had, I went into it and I said, all right, I'm going to, I ran two campaigns side by side. I did like a test campaign first because I was so kind of nervous and it's like, I don't know, you know, I, I, I want to get this right. So I had my core group and then I invited some other players and said, hey, this is going to be maybe a one shot or two. And then I ended up running these two campaigns, the same stories side by side. And then we had some players that just dropped or schedules didn't work out. So it kind of worked out in the end that they all came together into one group. And so then I just took the one uh, after a few sessions. Uh, and yeah, then that was it. And it was fun. It is a, I love being on that side of the table. You're constantly busy. Uh, you're constantly playing. And so it's great to just you know, have that level of ac activity. Um, and then I think shortly after that, I went into, uh, I, I started doing one shot Wednesdays as I called it. And I was running them for Star Wars 5e, uh, up to four times a month, um, once a week, uh, just cramming in one shots every session, just allowing anyone that wanted to come play, uh, jump into a game and, um, generally the same, the same adventure each month. So it made it a little easier on me, but uh, just, just to get a lot of people in and continue growing. That was my purpose was to to just learn and, and grow it as a DM. And when you're running those games, where do you typically run them online? Is there a certain set of tools that you like to use or what is that like? <clears throat> yeah, so I started, uh, 
I haven't ran anything uh, in person. I have now, but um, when I started into it, it was all online. And uh, Roll20, Roll20 was my uh, go-to at first. So everything was on that. I used that forever. And then recently, um, I've been on it for a bit now, but I've switched over to the Foundry virtual tabletop system, which I love. Uh, if you're familiar with that, it's it's great. And I, I use that with the other games I play now with Star Wars 5e, uh, traditional 5e, and uh, the Savage World system, specifically Deadlands. I have heard pretty much only good things about Foundry. Um, and I've got a one-shot coming up here in November. So I may look at just buying the license and playing with it because I think I think ultimately that's probably where I'll end up so I might as well get there sooner rather than later yeah it's it's a lot of fun if you know if you have experience in other VTTs like roll 20 for example there's a little bit of a learning curve uh, I think with anything um, but once you get into it it's just it's clean it, it runs well and um, especially with some of the newer systems I've gone to like savage worlds specifically they have great um, publisher support, creator support for that system. They have a dedicated team. So the content is like by the company, uh, which is really great. There is a, uh, you know, team for Star Wars 5e unofficial, but there's a team of developers that are working on that as well. So um, that's what's great is just, you know, the level of the community for the for the platform. And when you're running games, um, what is kind of your Dungeon Master style? How, how do you like to run games? Yeah, uh, I love a narrative game. Uh, I love to just sit back and watch my players play. I get so much enjoyment out of that and help them do that. That's uh, So as an example, with my Deadlands campaign uh, that runs bi-weekly Thursdays, I have an amazing group of players. Uh, I have, in general, I've lucked out and I haven't really ever had a bad player, knock on wood. Um, overall and but this this group i've got four players i i've played with them in some other things but they're really good together and that you know definitely makes a world of a difference uh and so i'm able to just sit back and allow them to do their thing and so that's what i what i enjoy what i prefer just to kind of facilitate the story that we're all telling um you know as needed uh you know i enjoy the occasional combat i'm definitely not uh, super crunchy um I'll bring in the combat when it's time, and and I enjoy those aspects. But uh, yeah, I certainly shoot for more of that narrative storytelling type of game. And do you try to emulate like any particular style, like action movies or or anything like that? Is there a certain thing that you're pulling from? No, I wouldn't say necessarily, because um, I think I I, I don't uh, I wouldn't say I have a specific focus or or um, inspiration uh, on any one thing. I just try and be open-minded about that or per, pull from, you know, various experiences and references and uh, in, in whatnot. And of course, it depends on the the setting and, and other aspects, of course, as well. But. And you, you mentioned, um, it sounds like as the DM, you, you feel like you just want to help your players um, in moments maybe where things aren't as narrative or kind of help them along so that they can continue that narrative. Can you kind of talk about how you do that or maybe an example of helping your players out? Yeah. So with that uh, as an example, um, you know, if there's, I guess a, an obvious one would be if there's a lull in the action. Uh, maybe players just kind of have have not found a reason to continue uh, their conversations or the role player or whatever it is, or you know, just helping to, to fill that space, whether it's throwing in an NPC to come in and, and you know, say hello, maybe give them a, a plot line, um, you know, or, or something happens in the world, uh, an event, etc. cetera. Uh, just to just throw in these somewhat living events, you know, the worlds should always be living uh, in your campaigns and, and going on around the players, the player, it doesn't stop when the players stop. So if there's a kind of a pause there, or it feels like it's just not going anywhere, bringing something in. And, and sometimes it's the littlest of things that that can spark another uh, you know, another tangent in a good way that the players can take and, and run with. And how much control do you give them in the story? Like when they're, uh, when you're doing this stuff narratively, is it mostly them kind of 
playing in character and talking to themselves, uh, talking between themselves, or do you give them a little freedom to come up with things or events that are happening um, in the story itself? Uh, more that they're they're uh, living in the world. They're not necessarily coming up with that uh, as much. Um, and and I guess to preface that. Most of what I've ran so far has been uh, pre-written modules, adventures, uh, Living Force campaign that I run on Sundays. Uh, it was an old uh, Star Wars D20 uh, campaign, similar to Adventures League. You'd go and show up and you could play the the, the module. And it was, it was like a five-year thing they did ongoing. Um, and so, you know, you have to kind of stick to that story to an extent. Um, but... I've done some other projects, uh, which I think we'll touch on later, that have been that kind of open world or, or homebrew world to an extent. And that is where the players have had a lot more influence um, into the story. And I guess it, it's all been in character. So it hasn't been out of character like, OK, you know, this NPC does this or this, you know, this uh, store or this village exists. It's things in character, but 100 percent the things that they've done come up with etc have have fully influenced uh, the story how do you handle prep for your sessions are there certain things that you specifically get together or do you do a lot of improv what is your process for prepping for a session yeah um i, I hate prep i'll say that uh it because i think i i haven't um figured out a way to do that efficiently uh, i focus on the wrong things i'm i'm a graphic uh, designer um, by day, and and I just love having a very aesthetic, pleasing look to things. And so, you know, I I start to focus on the details, just maps and and other things like that. And that sometimes draws more time than it should, uh, probably. Uh, and then with so with running a module, though, it's generally trying to go through all that material, making notes, bullet points, trying to summarize that, and a lot of the stuff too has been, um, with the Star Wars games at least, has been from other systems. So there's conversion involved. And so it's you just need the story. You don't really need you know the nuts and bolts, the mechanics. Um, you just need that story. And then as long as you know the system you're playing, you just you know make the adjustment as needed. So there's a lot of that where it's just bullet points of the story. And then um, over, over the year or two, I've been more loose with that so that if the players want to do something different, there's the flexibility. Um, but that's, you know, pretty much about how, how it's been with preparation um, in that regard. Sure. Um, and what system do you end up playing or, or I guess running the most? Uh, I would say if looking back at my last, my, you know, last two years to date, uh, it would be Star Wars 5e um would be the one but uh savage worlds is is picking up because i've been playing uh playing and running that now uh quite a bit uh, i guess they're pretty equal right now but um that's been one of my my favorites i really really enjoy that system and uh checking out some others uh playing play by post with mothership which i really like sci-fi horror rpg and uh, there's a lot of other little ones out there that i i want to check out as well um, I haven't had anybody on that has talked about the Star Wars 5e. So do you want to just talk a little bit about that system? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Star Wars 5e, uh, two, three years old now. I, we, I got in pretty you know, young to it as well myself. A uh, gentleman by the name, uh, username of Galifile, uh, started the conversion. And um, as I said, I went, I was looking for that game in person a while ago and the DM happened to be running Star Wars 5e. That's what I got into it and found the discord for it and just kind of got involved with the project, very community-based. But uh, the system itself, it's basically the fifth edition, Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition, um, and then flavored for Star Wars. Uh, but there's there's a lot beyond just that. Uh, there's some adjustments, rewrites to classes. Um, the spells are uh, called powers in that system. So you have powers and you have force powers, of course. And then you have uh, another section called tech powers uh, for a split, just so you it's not all um, force Jedis and, and whatnot doing the casting. Uh, some options otherwise. And, and uh, yeah, it, there's great flavor. Obviously, the weapons are changed. Uh, there's massive list of species uh, given in the Star Wars universe, uh, everything that's out there. And um, 
but yeah, if, if you're familiar with 5e and you want to play Star Wars and you like 5e, um, you know, this is a great, great system to jump into to kind of connect those together. I know I've briefly looked at their um, their website, uh, but I, I've never gotten a chance to really do a deep dive on the rules and everything that they've done with the conversion yet, which I, I should probably get to, but just haven't had time. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, there, there is a lot there. Uh, as I said, if you're familiar with 5e, it, it would allow you to jump into it. But there is, uh, I'll say that there's enough that has departed from traditional 5e that you know, you, you, if you were going to run a game, you'd want to dive in and, and make and see what is different just so you're aware of it. But you certainly could still jump into it uh, without not knowing anything and I think get along. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I think it does. You know, is it the best system for Star Wars? You know, that's that's up for debate. Um, but if you want to play, if you enjoy 5e and you want to play Star Wars, I think it, it does what it needs to do. You also have the you know, large market share of people who have played fifth edition or probably maybe even exclusively played fifth edition. So as far as player base, it would be a little bit easier to convince them to, hey, let's go play the Star Wars version of fifth edition than maybe learning a completely new system. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, there there are other Star Wars systems out there. I mentioned the old D20, the old D6. Uh there was the next one after D20 was uh, Saga Edition, which I think was close to 3.5 edition. And then the most recent one, uh, Fantasy Flight, uh, which I think that's the one you're using for your one shot, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So and I, I haven't uh, I've looked over that one a little bit, but I haven't done a dive into that as all to really understand that system and whatnot, you know, with the, the fancy dice and all that. Um, you know, it seems interesting. But uh, yeah, to your point, if you know 5e already, you know, you jump right into this one and you don't have to worry about that uh, learning process. Maybe you'll have to join the one shot so you can get a chance to check it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it lines up with your schedule, I know that's usually the, <laughs> yeah, that's the, the tricky big one, thing. Yep. Um, are there any games that you haven't played but would like to play or run? Yeah, lots of them, definitely. Um, you know, I have such a list of... Uh, systems out there that i especially as i said when i was first getting into the hobby that's what i was doing was just reading systems because i i didn't have anyone to play with yet i hadn't put myself out there to just join a random game and so i said all right i'm just going to read through systems see what i like and because i wanted to try and play with my brothers i've got three younger brothers uh, we always grew up playing games together and um you know that just never ended up working out and of course i would have defaulted to to be the dm even back then and um, but specifically, um, I did play Call of Cthulhu recently somewhat. I did, they have a one-on-one -on -one adventure, which I ran, which is uh, interesting, but I'd like to play more of a, uh, full, full-fledged camp, uh, at least one shot with that. Um, Into the Odd, uh, I would like to check out. It's a kind of an old school, uh, style game and they have a, there's a great, um, maybe conversion, uh, or hack of it, I guess, uh, called Mouse Ritter. Uh, it's just. An adorable little game. Your mice. Um, it has an amazing uh, weapon system, and uh, you know I've, I've got plans to run that here in the holiday season coming up. Um, beyond that, yeah, I, I think that's you know there's there's probably a few other ones that stand out, but uh, I don't think there's anything else major. You know, I've I've kind of you know I don't really have any desire for Pathfinder things like that. Any of some of the other big ones, um, you know, I just. Uh, I enjoy some of the indie games. I think those are fun. There's just so much, uh, so much out there to to check out. There, there are so many, and there's tons of Kickstarters all the time, mm -hmm. and there's just indie published stuff. I mean, I don't think it'd even be possible to get through everything out there. I oh, mean, absolutely, yeah. So, and it, which is awesome, right, for the hobby to have. Uh, once you get into it you can basically say, I want like this theme and this theme mashed together. And somebody's probably written a game for it. Oh, absolutely. So, which is yeah. just really fun. Yep. And as I mentioned, I mentioned I'm playing Mothership. That's one of my newest ones. And that's, uh, you know, it, it's definitely gaining steam now. They're getting a new Kickstarter here soon. Um, I'm running that as play by post. But that one uh, is is super cool. Uh, very interesting system. And, um, you know, one thing about all, having all these different systems too, as you know, another kind of suggestion to DMs is even if you don't play these systems, read other systems. There's so many things that I have pulled from 
even just reading other systems and brought them into an existing game. So uh, Savage Worlds and 5e, I've, I've used elements between the two of those or of these old school uh, independent style games. I've seen things in there that I really enjoy, brought those in. Um, Blades in the Dark, for example, they have like the clocks system from there. And I just love that feature. I've used that a few times. Uh, that's, I mean, if, if you don't play them, that's fine. But I think checking out other systems for that reason alone to borrow mechanics and things, you know, that's something I think anyone should do. Uh, that's actually one of my favorite things about this podcast is getting to hear people talk about systems that I haven't played and some of the mechanics, because um, I think all systems do certain things well and they do certain things less well. Mm -hmm. And if you can kind of find the things that are just like a system does really well, like Blades does heists really well and it's got that clocks mechanic, right? And stealing those into your D&D game when you need to run a heist or something is is great. Are there um, specific mechanics that you want to talk about that you have pulled from one game and ported into another? Hmm. Uh, off the top of my head, uh, like the clocks one is just, you know, that's at the forefront because I remember uh, the first time using that and I did, um, it was essentially kind of a temperature gauge that went up and down and I didn't tell the players what it was. I had green at the top, red at the bottom, and they did a skill challenge and they saw it on screen and they did something and the, the little meter went up or down and they, as it started going down, they're like, it was so cool. It was such a cool moment to sense that confusion, excitement, dread, everything of what was going on. Um, so it was, that was a super cool moment. So that one is always just uh, sticks out to me. Um, there's a lot in Savage Worlds that is uh, very cool. Their their chases uh, is is very neat. I mean, they use the deck of cards for initiative and a lot of other things. So there might be some translation issues there. But um, yeah, specifically, uh, you know, there's not many other that at least come right to mind specifically beyond the clocks. But uh, yeah, I know I've I've taken some um, between those before. I I think it's probably a theme of the show that people. That's one of the common themes is people will say, hey, you should read at least read other other things. So mm -hmm. it's always nice when um, it's something that I've been saying. And then it's nice when everybody else is kind of echoing that same sentiment. Could you talk a little bit about Mothership and maybe kind of the theme of the game and maybe some of the mechanics in that? I have not uh, read that one. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very new to it. Uh, I'm running a play-by-post game for it, which I'm, I have three brand new players as well. We're very learn as we go. Uh, I think I think play-by-post could work for it if we were if we were more familiar with the system. I think that would help. But um, definitely, I think more of a live uh, game because it's that sci-fi horror RPG. So high stress levels, uh, definitely very uh, lethal. So. For example, the one we're playing, the game we're playing, uh, they were stowaways on a, sh a ship. They woke up from cryo sleep, and it was many years later than they thought it was. And their ship is basically heading into a, a star, and they need to correct that. And it's basically the adventure is them going through the ship and trying to get to the controls to, to deal with that situation. And along the way, they run into a lot of problems and things. There's a stress mechanic, uh, which they have almost uh, anything but maxed out. So if, if they come into a stressful situation, they have to roll on certain tables, like a panic table, to see if they can um, deal with that. One player went catatonic, and he's been out for like five rounds. I mean, it's oh, just no. been... Yeah, it's... So it, it's... It's uh, it's a super cool game. It's you know it has that indie vibe to it. Uh, if anything like the big influences would be like Alien, the movie Alien. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. You know that's that's definitely the the standby is is Alien is in all those movies is going to be what this is heavily influenced in that that kind of fear, dread, horror of of being trapped up in space as you know a marine or a scientist on a space station or a weird planet. Uh, with with crazy monsters or viruses, uh, things like that. It, very, very fun. But yeah, you know, the, it, very cool system. If you're into that genre, I think it's a great one to, to check out. I think now might be a good time to transition and talk a little bit about the many projects that you're working on. Do you want to tell us about those? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, my personally, I guess, with under as Todd Moonbounce, 
lately it's been, you know, running some of these other games, uh, Deadlands. Uh, so I, I love streaming the games and, and hopefully putting on a, a good story and a good show uh, for the audience. Um, I, I love the production side of it. Uh, as I mentioned, a graphic designer, so I like to create the overlays and and all that little stuff, uh, campaign titles, logos, and uh, just managing that process. Uh, it's definitely a lot to manage uh, while you're also DMing the game, but um, I've, I've got it down uh, where I think it's... Uh, you know, a pretty smooth process. And and now I'm looking at getting to a little bit higher production with, uh, you know, just, just better, a better overlay setup, um, maybe some animated intro type things, things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing that's, that has uh, kind of led to that, to fill that as well, uh, your recent guest, Ryan Howard, uh, him and I are, are uh, co- cast members on uh, Deadlands Hellgate Trilogy uh, that is produced by Valor Studios. And that has been a blast. It's definitely, you know, they really go for that high production value within the RP and then the, um, you know, stream as well. So that's been a lot of fun. And and that's been something for me to kind of strive to personally with my projects there. Um, And then the other big project, though, outside of that, uh, I'm co-founder uh, our creative director of the Dungeon Jedi Masters. So this is a podcast and so much more, um, all related to the Star Wars 5e uh, system. So we started as a podcast, basically just talking about the system. Uh, our first episode was what's different between Star Wars 5e and 5e. So that'd be a great one for anyone if they're interested. Um, you know, maybe could use some updating as the system has uh, changed over the year and whatnot. But uh, beyond that, then we go through and have done just spotlights on different mechanics. We've done spotlights on each of the classes in the system. Um, and we've done a, quite a few of, of DM-centric, uh, generic DM-centric podcasts as well, uh, just talking about running a game, things like that. And then, you know, spun off into the streaming of our campaigns. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel that offers some helpful tutorial videos as well toward the system. And then uh, eventually, just to help uh, finance our hosting of a lot of that content, creation of that content, we did put out a Patreon. And as part of that Patreon, we offer some exclusive content, uh, including adventures, modules, pre-written modules for the game, uh, other things of that nature, uh, just to kind of help out. So that's been a blast. Those modules that you put out, those are for the Star Wars 5th edition? Yes. Yep. Yep. So it's all specific to Star Wars 5e. Uh, you could, I mean, it's basically 5e, so you could uh, reflavor it if you wanted to bring it over, potentially uh, just switching that up. But yes, it is specific to that. We'll do uh, some of them that are specific, just like a little encounter with maybe a fun table um, or two or, or a small situation. Uh, yeah, just try it, you know little something for those that uh, have been nice enough to support uh, the project. One other project that uh, I'm working on uh, with Dun- through Dungeon Jedi Masters as well is uh, a narrative podcast that I've been doing that has been a blast. Um, so we're recording season two right now, series two, I should call it. Uh, the first one is called Vagrant Freighters. I have three individuals, three players, and uh, we did we played the campaign uh, and, and then it's all just audio based. And then I went back through and cut all the mechanic, all the the mechanical play, the dice rolls and everything. Um, and so what's left is just that narrative aspect. Uh, throw in a little bit of sound effects and ambience there and, and try to get that old radio show vibe. So when you listen back to that, um, not until like episode three did we really fully transition to that. Some of the first ones have some of the roles and things, but that was the end product, uh, which was such a blast uh, to have that end product. They're about an hour long. And it's it's just me narrating, and then the players are being their characters, and it's so much fun to do. Um, it was a great story to tell, and so yeah, we're working on the next uh, next series because it's a it's not a continuation of this uh, of Vagrant Freighters. Um, it is called. I think we've settled on Scattered Choices. Will be the title of this one. Uh, should be six episodes long. I have two players in that, and it's actually going to be a, a prequel. Um, or set before, not necessarily prequel, but set before Vagrant Freighter's timeline, still within the same system, same universe. Uh, And then down the road, there might be potential for some crossover, which is cool. That's another aspect of building this this world, uh, you know, and having all this stuff go on. So 
that's been a lot of fun uh, just to figure that out because it's a different type of project as well. When we run that, um, there's a lot of, we're very conscious of what we're doing, what we're creating. So we'll stop and 100% it's, it's the dice and our role play dictates the story. Um, but we might stop and say, hey, let's run that back and you know say it this way or, or do it this way just because it'll come out better. So just to have a little bit more polished project. Uh, you can imagine if that was in a regular game, that would maybe feel a little weird. But I think sometimes we do that. You know, we kind of retcon and and go back to things that we might just work out better. So, but that's been a lot of fun just to really focus on that that narrative. And how many episodes is that first season? So Vagrant Freighters is eight episodes total, um, all around that hour mark, a little shy of that. Uh, so it's I, I would say that it's a pretty easy you know easy thing to digest um, and. Uh, yeah, it, it uh, ended pretty well. And I do plan on, uh, you know, one, maybe two more seasons of that uh, as well. Um, and do you plan for those s- seasons to all be pretty short with, you know, kind of like under 10 episodes each? Yeah, yeah, I think so. The next one, so Scatter Choices, I've got six planned. I think that's what I'm going to stick to. And then probably look around that eight again for Vagrant Freighters. Vagrant's going to be kind of the main one of the of this series, if you will. Um, yeah, it, it'll be around that, uh, given the, it's essentially, you know, only being an hour long each episode, you're looking at about, so Vagrant Faders was about two to three sessions, really. Um, you know, standard sessions, if you look to be about three hours in a, you know, a session, normal session. So there's not a lot of combat involved. Um, you know, when it does, it, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a narrative aspect. Uh, it's there, but yeah, it's it's pretty short, but it's still I still think we told a great story in the amount of time we had. And that's something that I'm kind of looking towards doing in future uh, like live games as well is tight story arcs four, six, eight weeks. Tell a story, do something different, come back to it if you want. And, and not this just kind of play until you get burnout kind of a thing. Yeah, I've had. Uh, multiple people come on and say ha- setting like a limit to the, either the number of sessions or uh, like a specific goal or something that like once you hit that then you're done um mm-hmm. and you can get these kind of short and sweet kind of almost like mini campaigns um and then that lets everybody when you get to the end of it you can say okay that was really fun we want to you know renew it for another season essentially and keep playing or you know maybe People are getting bored of their characters. They want to try something fresh or a different system or something. And then that's kind of a natural natural break where you can, okay, we, we can do something else, but we could even come back to it, you know, two seasons from now if, you know, we get the itch again or whatever. Um, with these kind of mini seasons that you're doing, how do you plan out the the story for this are these like pretty planned out arcs and then you're kind of playing through that or what is how is that set up yeah so this one is is very different so i have a uh there's an old setting guide from the old star wars d6 uh system that i'm using it's this it's called the it's in the minos cluster this uh group of systems way on the edges of the galaxy and um you know there is some imperial uh, presence there, but uh, it's basically all about the smugglers and the and the cargo runners and, and things like that. And um, so I use that as my base. I didn't want to spend time like trying to create a homebrew world. So we have this world ready to go. We have the planets. We have some key individuals, key organizations like that. And then we sat down, threw our players into that. Uh, we did some some fun backstory connection uh, tools there. Um, which is, you know, something else we could touch on too. Backstory tools to link players together is, is such a blast to do. But uh, we threw them in and I had a little bit of a concept of, okay, here's where we're going to start. And then with this, as I mentioned earlier, my players, um, one, were just fantastic and I rode the wave that they uh, they paved. So I had a starting point. We got into it, introduced a few characters and based on their reactions and interactions and whatnot, the story developed naturally on its own. Um, I would say the players created that story much more than I did, which was a blast, though. And it and I think it came out really good because it gave me things to feed off, and, and then I could create those directions. 
And then when you're kind of wrapping up a session, do you have like a like a finale episode where things really kind of come to a close for the um, for the campaign as a whole? Or yeah, or like your seasons? Yeah, the season. Yeah. So well, yes, there was. Uh, so for for Vagrant Freighters uh, series one, season one, uh, there definitely was a uh, conclusion to that. Um, so as we went through that, um, once we got about three. Three episodes in, maybe four, you know, I was kind of outlining, all right, I want to end on eight. Um, here's here's the plot lines. Here's the storyline that I want to fo- try and follow once that started to be, be established um, and then said, OK, episode five is going to probably be this. Six is probably going to be that. Seven is going to be that. Eight is our conclusion. We have, you know, that once you get later on in the season, then you start then it has to start fitting that uh, that specific arc, that narrative and things like that. So, but yeah, the, the ending definitely did have a conclusion. Um, I think left some things open for later on, as, as you mentioned, if you want to come back to it, which I do now, it, it was it was a great project to finally wrap up. Uh, as you know, from editing podcasts, that can be, uh, that's in um, a project like this was definitely, uh, that was not the fun part, but the end result <laughs> was such a blast to, you know, to, to see, you know, come out of it. And now after the fact, I'm, I'm enjoying the new series. And then I can't wait to go revisit Vagrant as well, because it was such a blast to do. Um, I do want to circle back to editing the podcast in a little bit, but let's, um, let's talk about the backstory tools that you mentioned first. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Is there anything that any of that you're familiar with yourself? No, not at all. Yeah, so I was uh, introduced with these uh, tools called Backstory Cards by Ryan Macklin. Uh, They're just essentially a little playing card style, and they have uh, prompts on them. Um, And then they have some other things like an arrow and a number. So what you do is uh, different ways you can use these. Uh, Out of the box, you start with a table. Uh, I believe it has four four, uh, columns, three rows. And there's a person, place, uh, events. There's one other in there um, that's in those uh, four categories. And you go through with your with your players and you write down, say, all right, we kind of know what our world is. Give me give me a person. And it, you just whatever you want that to be. All right. That is uh, Mako now. That's a player. Uh, Mako is a is a Twi'lek and they run a cantina. All right, you put that on the list and then go through and you create all this, you know, these various things here. Then you start drawing the cards and you'll get a card that says uh, a player and yourself got into a fight at location. And then all those things correspond to what you just created. So there's an arrow on there to say like the person to your left or to your right or whatever. And that's the person involved in this uh, co-op, if you will. And then it says location. And I'll have a number on the card. So like location number two, you look at your grid you made, location number two, okay, that was the, you know, old warehouse. Um, and there's things that are, there's solo things, there's group events. I mean, it was just, it was such a cool experience because we drew a few cards and we already created these connected stories between each other. And we were able to jump in, you know, right away. And the players had these backstories to re- rely on. It wasn't like, oh, we're just going to start coming up with stuff. And that helped the RP, I think, a lot too off the bat. Yeah, I can see where that would help kind of shape some of those relationships. Um, One thing that I think, uh, how do I want to say this? Having unlimited open options can be more limiting than having a couple of concrete things that you can just build off of. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's interesting. So it, it must have a thing that says like okay you need to write down five locations and five npcs and or something like that because it sounds like all of the cards just like they almost do the random rolling for you right like it just says okay this this player to your left and location two and yeah that's really i've seen other products where it's just you know like either pick or roll or something on a table mm-hmm. but not ones where you make the you kind of make the table ahead of time and then the cards tell you what the combinations are absolutely yeah and of course you know this is going to be for one of your your homebrew type game you know if you're running you can use it outside of that if you're running a module you can certainly use this but you just have to know what's involved and you as a DM might have to come up with those things off the hand, off the, you know, unless you're going to allow the players to kind of go off the rails here and there. 
Um, otherwise, you're going to have to write in some of those connections uh, ahead of time so that when they do draw these cards, you know, maybe they do get a connection in the story. Of course, you know, you don't want to spoil things. So you have to keep that in mind. But, um, you know, still definitely usable in either way uh, in in a blast. And it's it's fun to just create that stuff with each other as well. Yeah, I think that would have come in handy in a lot of the games that I ran because the uh, characters never really had a great sense of like why like why are we necessarily together? Like we're mm -hmm. all kind of a bunch of random people uh, with very different powers and um, origins. So yeah, you get a lot of individualistic. I think I've I've played in games where you were four or five just individual heroes doing your thing. You know, it wasn't like we're in this together. And I think when you bring these, when you really create this, this connected backstories, even if it's just, you know, one or two people, you're not connected with everyone, but you're going to have a connection at least with one other person. It, it definitely creates that bond that you're talking about. And then when you go forward in the story, it's, it's not just, I have my, you know, self selfish reasoning for doing this, you know, and you have yours. Um, can we talk about the, editing of the podcast now how long yeah. did it take to basically like uh, if you know this from start to finish of like recording an episode or recording a session and then turning that into like a finished uh product that could be released as an episode how long did it take to to do all of that a long time <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah so with Vagrant Freighters, uh, so we are, the Dungeon Jedi Masters podcast is about uh, between 30, 45 minutes. That's what we try to keep at. And, um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sure Brock from, from doing this, you know, what that involvement is, because it's not as involved. You're probably going to have to cut some things out here and there. Um, but with Vagrant Freighters, a whole different animal. One, we try and record about an hour and a half. I like to have a about, I, I can kind of gauge because I want it to come down to that hour mark just under that. Um, but that's that's what I aim for. So because there is a lot, one, there's dice rolls. There's there's just general discussion um, in, in between there. Uh, so, you know, hour 15, hour 20, hour 30, because I know I'm going to be cutting quite a bit out. Uh, if we have combat, uh, which I do want to touch on as well, uh, if we can squeeze it in, but combat that's going to be even longer because there's a lot more involved with that. So it's, I've easily spent three, four hours, uh, you know, going back through, cause you're also, you're just listening to that, editing it, making sure that, you know, the, the voices, uh, make sense with each other, that the pacing of the language, um, you know, so the first, my first pass is, is cutting out all the junk, making sure it sounds good. Then I go back through and then I add in some of the ambience and stuff. And that, that stuff's a little quicker. Uh, it gets it going. But yeah, it's it's involved, definitely. Yeah, so you're really doing like two two passes on the edit, uh, not including just the time it takes to record, get set up and record a session. Right. Um, yeah, that's actually something that I would like to do with my upcoming one shot, uh, just to try that style of editing. Um mm -hmm. I think it would be interesting and I've, I've wanted to mess around with throwing sound effects and, and background music and stuff in. Um, so I'm hopefully going to record that one shot. Uh, although uh, since it'll be just kind of whoever on the server wants to play, we probably won't like have that be the main focus of the one shot. The right. main focus will be just playing and having fun. And then I'll just go back in later mm -hmm. and edit. And that's certainly doable. Um you know, and, and adding that extra stuff, I think is such a blast. And, and I think this is, you know, potentially a great jumping off point though. And it's something that even in general, in any general game outside of trying to have this, you know, radio show style game is, uh, being narrative, um, in your actions, uh, especially combat. I think combat's one of the hard things. And what we found with, with doing this, uh, show Vagrant Freighters was when we got to the combat, we needed to be very obviously pur purposeful with with uh, combat because I'm cutting all the dice rolls out, and if they don't say anything else, then nothing happens. So, what we did, and this is this is a suggestion I would tell DMs to give to their players, is go through, tell me your actions up front. You know, be on top of that. Every any player should be on top of what they want to do on their turn. So, all right, I'm going to move here. I'm going to take this action, this bonus action, et cetera, do that. Do your rolls quickly, figure out if you hit, miss, et cetera, and then 
in character, describe what just happened. And then you, you basically kind of go back through and, and do that again. Uh, so, you, you know, you make your, your, your actions, the mechanics, and then you flavor it in narrative. Um, because I think there's lots of opportunity to bring in some cool story points in that. Maybe as you're narrating your attack, you know, something happened that makes you think of a memory or something else, or you see your counterpart getting attacked. And, you know, there's just these feelings and emotions you can bring up within character that I think adds so much more to the game rather than just, I roll to hit, things like that. Sure. And and kind of waiting to see what the dice roll is too, I feel like would help to have a be because otherwise it's it would be more segmented right it would be like okay i described my setup to the action like i raise my rifle and fire a couple of shots which is better than just saying i shoot at the guy but Mm -hmm. also it's not really a whole lot of narrative either and then so you have that kind of setup and then the um the result okay okay now we know what the dice did now i can kind of describe like if i hit or not but then like what you're doing is you're Okay, real quick, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to attack him. Here's my roll. Okay, I got my result. I missed. And now you have that chance to go in and, and narrate the whole action right. as kind of the result versus just kind of the two the two segments. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to do it that way. And, and another kind of thing to touch on with this is play-by-post has been another good, good way of, of doing this because in play-by-post, you're going to have generally your RP channel and then your dice channel. So in, in combat, you go through that list, movement, action, bonus action, et cetera. <coughs> Excuse me. And after you do that, then you go to the RP channel and you write out the results you know, of that. So if you fail, you can describe that. You get to flavor why did you fail? You tripped over a crate or you, you know, you did this, the sun got in your eyes and that's just so much better than oh you just miss. Yeah, and this is something this is something that I could see myself stealing just for in, you know, regular games even not even considering recording it for like a podcast, mm-hmm. but just, you know, the the dm being in the dm mode and after they do a roll just basically turn to the player and say okay describe what why this roll makes sense or or explain to me how this you you failed this role i think it's as simple as that um and then maybe a way to engage some of your players as well a little bit more in the narrative oh absolutely yeah and it can be tough sunday i had a game and and i caught myself because it kind of got towards the end of the session and we were just grinding through combat it was roll go you know we didn't and i try to flavor uh you know so after things happen and i'll narrate the results uh, you know, so you you pulled up your rifle and you took a shot, but it's uh, it careened off the armor and didn't penetrate. And I'll throw some of that flavor in it as well. But I think if I, you know, we took more of a conscious effort and said, OK, let's go through your actions real quick. Tell us what you know, what it is because I have a fighter who's shooting four shots a turn, uh, you know, kind of a thing. And, uh, you know, so up front, it would just be like, all right, get those all out of the way. OK, you made three out of the four. Explain that boom and, and then if they narrate what happens tell us maybe something something cool happened on that fourth shot that missed for some reason and, and that's a cool story point to make so absolutely in a in a regular game regardless of of the intention of trying to have a a recorded session you know that's just would be something to try and uh to push as well yeah i, I can think of a couple of players that i have specifically that i think that would really benefit back on the star wars fifth edition for a second i know that uh fifth edition D&D in general, a lot of the abilities and stuff are super combat focused. Like most of the things on a character sheet as you level up relate to combat. Is right. is that similar in Star Wars fifth edition or do they add other powers that are maybe more towards the like social and exploration aspects of the game? I would say it's more the former. It's, it's going to stick pretty close to uh, traditional 5e. Um, and actually, I might say that I, there's there's a good bit of power creep in Star Wars 5e. Uh, one example, you, you get a feat at level one. That's just something they built in. Uh, so right off the bat, you're already a bit stronger. Um, and then there's just a lot of other features that just add, add some power creep to the game. So it's something that you need to be aware of as a DM. Uh, you know, it can be tough, especially in the later tiers of leveling, um, you know, 
eight, nine, 10, et cetera, if you get that far, it can be pretty tough to build a challenging encounter. Um, so, you know, kind of specifically to your question, I think that it still heavily does focus on the combat. Um, and, you know, whether that's that's just the nature of, of the fifth edition system um, or not, uh, you know, I, as I mentioned at the beginning, I prefer a narrative game. I prefer that social game. Uh, so I fifth edition works for that. Um, it, it certainly works for that, but I think you just, you really have to make sure you have the players that want to play that style of game. And, uh, you know, you, you utilize the features that are there, uh, for that, I guess, actually to illustrate that further in vagrant freighters and in, in, um, scattered choices fifth edition the system that we're using honestly doesn't matter um and in fact fifth edition might not be the perfect system for it but um because we're not using a lot of the features to tell the story because it is so heavily narrative based um because as you're you know as you asked the question they are definitely going to be a little bit more a little bit more combat focused um and then one other questions i had about that was how does the how does the system handle uh Force-sensitive versus non-force-sensitive players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it does that very well. Um, it, it's balanced across the classes. Uh, so you have there's three native force uh, classes, um, and then there is a uh, everyone else is going to be um, you know otherwise there is an engineer which is a tech casting class. Uh, so just a different caster but in a different way. And um, there's there's pretty close to the uh, similar versions uh, to to five E. So Berserker is the barbarian. Uh, you have a uh, the rogue is an operative in Star Wars five E. Fighter is fighter, um, and then you have the other classes though. So Consular, Sentinel, and Guardian are the Force uh, classes in Star Wars five E. Guardian is going to be your Paladin, similar. Um, but as far as the balance between them, it, it's very good because I think that you have to suspend that concept, that belief that Jedi are super powerful. You have to pull away from, from the, um, the movies and all the other media and you have to say, okay, like you can, to an extent, go toe to toe with, with this other person in a certain way. And because, you know, it has to be for balance for the game. Otherwise everyone would be playing Jedi and it just wouldn't be any fun. So I think it does that pretty well. Yeah. I I wanted to ask about balance, but at the same time, I mean, how is the balance between like playing a fighter and a wizard in D and D? I mean, right. Wizards are already going to have a, a ton of powers and spells that they can use to deal with with the fighters so and i know people have talked about that like if you if you play a casting class you just are generally a little bit more powerful in if you're in the right circumstances right i mean mm-hmm. hand-to-hand combat wizard's probably not going to win but uh other situations the wizard has uh has a leg up um and then even even in the like movies and stuff I mean, I kind of agree with, or I, I don't think you necessarily need to uh, l- lower your expectations. The The characters in the movies are like 20th level, probably, or, you know, yeah, that's a fair. really high level, right? Like, you're not playing like Darth Vader or right. Yoda, right? You're playing like the Padawans and the people at lower levels, and even some of the you know, the bounty hunters and stuff that aren't force sensitive in the films can go toe to toe with the mm-hmm. Jedi as well. So it, it really just kind of depends on where, where they're at skill wise or level wise almost and what, what tools they have available to them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, all, all, all comes into play there and it's going to be on, on, you know, you as a DM, as, as, a, as players as well to, you know, to create, in a way that is going to be fun and and allow that to come out and it makes sense you know if you want to do something crazy and have super you know op jedi characters you know absolutely you can do that so um that's that's one thing with these style games with tabletops is is you get to make it however you want what uh what is the typical like level cap that's in the game i know like with fifth edition a lot of um a lot of groups never get past like 10th level is that kind of similar in Star Wars? Um, I, I I couldn't. Well, we did a couple surveys to ask kind of where people were at, at least. Um, I 
I like the three to three to six range. Um, you know, I've gone outside of that. My current campaign is uh, hitting eight right now, and we will be doing for the we're coming up to the finale. We'll be jumping up to uh, 10 just to finish out the game. We're going to do level eight for a Halloween special here end of the month. And then our last uh, couple sessions will be level 10 just to round off. Um, but I enjoy like the three, four, five, six. Uh, just, you know, you're getting some of those features and it, it doesn't get out of control. So I think sometimes there can be um, choice paralysis and things. In the game I play in, um, same thing, uh, DM. Tegan, he likes kind of that mid uh, range, five, six, seven, eight uh, himself. But we will be doing just because it's fun to do because you don't often get there. Our finale will be level 20. Uh, we've done it before, too. It's pretty crazy. Uh, it, there's so much going on. So, um, th- yeah, that's what we see. I I think that's generally where where you see it as well. I wouldn't say I don't know if it matches uh, 5e's average or not uh, traditional 5e, but. I'd say it might be close. Sure. Um, and you actually mentioned something that I was going to ask earlier. Uh, sounds like you have a holiday special. Do you typically run holiday-based games? Uh, not, well, I ha- I guess I have a little bit, yeah. Um, Halloween is one of my, my, personally, just one of my favorite holidays. And uh, as I got into tabletops, I'm going to do a Halloween session. You know, I have to, and I just haven't got around to it. And uh, this year, I was I wanted to run a bunch of games, and it just, my schedule's been busy and haven't really gotten the players involved. Uh, so I'm still doing my uh, my game, my Sunday game that falls on Halloween. So we're going to do a special um, a special adventure just for Halloween uh, for that. Uh, one of our free Patreon adventures, so anyone can get to it. It's on our Patreon, though. Uh, I wrote a Halloween special based on an e- old Ewok cartoon um, that uh, is, is centered around Halloween, the kind of Star Wars version of Halloween. And uh, we did a, we did a, so all the, basically kind of like the the council, they're called on the Star Wars 5e Discord, the moderators and the developer team. We did a holiday one shot. Uh, and I, I basically uh, redid um, Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger. But this was Jabba All the Way. Uh, and so Jabba the Hutt's uh, child, uh, I forget his name, but he wanted... Uh, instead of uh, Turbo Man in the you know the jingle all the way, it was Turbo Mandalorian. <laughs> and so uh, they had to go and get the Turbo Mandalorian for um, Jabba the Hutt's kid for Life Day. Uh, we've done a Life Day adventure, so yes, you definitely do uh, some holiday related things. Uh, I think it's a great time to come up with a cool theme, and uh, always a good time. I, I definitely have some stuff planned for uh, like the December holiday season as well. So uh, I really like the idea of taking that jingle all the way and then and then reskinning it with with all of the star wars stuff that's awesome yeah it was it was a blast we i had seven players it was it was nuts um but it was a it was a special thing we did we had uh, all the community come out we did some giveaways and things so it was kind of a special one-off thing but it was a good time and and yeah and then that's i know we're kind of getting to the end here but just to throw one more thing in uh you know reskinning uh things there like your favorite movie reskin it you know, people may know, but it doesn't matter. It's probably a good story. And, you know, that's another tip I think is, is definitely use material that you already know of. I, uh, I ran a one shot and I, um, I basically took the Lord of the Rings scene, um, when they go into Moria and go mm-hmm. through the, the door and the, uh, with the Balrog and everything. And, okay. and two of the players had not seen Lord of the Rings. So like, they're just oblivious. And then one of the other players is like, is this, is this the plot from Lord of the Rings? Like, is this that scene? It's like, yep. <laughs> yes, nice, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's cool. Cause like, you know, regardless if you're doing, if that was in 5e and it's fantasy, it's probably going to be pretty similar. Um, but you know, you get to live that. Like, why wouldn't you want to do that? So regardless if you recognize what what it what the inspiration is, you know, now you get to play it out and you get to play it out how you want. So I think uh even then if 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 it recognize if people recognize, still not a big deal. Yeah, and sometimes that one I was like super on the nose. Like the riddle was the same, the monsters nice. were the same, you know. So like it was just a complete ripoff. Uh yeah. but even if you just reskinned some of it and just it kind of filed the the names off 
Um, mm-hmm. You can get away with a lot, and people don't always, uh, unless you're like super specific about something. Some of those plots and stuff can go kind of unnoticed w- without people realizing what what you're stealing from. So definitely uh, steal from your favorite books and TV shows and and all of mm-hmm. that fun stuff. Cool. Well, I think we can probably start to wrap up. So, Todd, where can we find you? Yeah, so at Todd Moonbounce uh, on Twitter, Todd Moonbounce on Twitch. Those are going to be my main two points of contact. Uh, Also, be sure to check out uh, Dungeon Jedi Masters. Best way for that is DungeonJediMasters.com, and that will have links to all of our content, our podcast, uh, Twitch channel, which will go back to mine, Todd Moonbounce. Uh, we have our Instagram, which has, um, you know, once or twice a week, we post uh, plot hooks and NPCs and items and things like that on Instagram, uh, Twitter, just for conversations. Uh, we do have a merch store if you want a Dungeon Jedi Masters t-shirt. Uh, I think there's one other thing in there. But then, of course, uh, our Patreon as well. So there's a lot of freebies uh, on that. And then also, if you get involved and and you enjoy what we're doing and want to support us, you can do so that way. So DungeonJediMasters.com. Awesome. Thank you. It was a blast talking to you, Todd. You as well, Brock. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Masters Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.